I found the question of what would Jesus do? WWJD bracelets. I grew up in the era of WWJD bracelets. I found that always to be like a really overwhelming question. Like I needed to know very specifically what Jesus would do in this like one particular conversation. Um, But I think the better question is what did Jesus do? And we have a very clear record of what Jesus did. He prayed and sought time with his father. He served others. He celebrated the feasts and the fasts of the Jewish calendar. He was hospitable. And I think practicing these things is a way that we grow ever into Christ's likeness. And so one of the things Jesus does, as you mentioned, is he observes sacred time. He participates in Jewish feasts and he often illuminates their meaning. Um, There's a lot of this throughout John's gospel. And the Jewish feasts, they were instituted for the purpose of remembering God's good work and passing that story on to the next generation, making it present to the current generation. You know, there was only one generation that experienced the parting of the Red Sea, but the Israelites were told to remember that, to make that good work present and celebrate it every single year unto perpetuity. You know, we see Jesus do this in a really powerful way at the Passover meal on the day before his crucifixion. Jesus chooses to sacrifice a Passover lamb and participate in this hallowed meal instead of doing anything else. He could be healing people. He could be preaching. He could be, you know, sticking it to Pharisees, but he chooses to have this private meal with his friends. And he really models for us how we need to remember God's work, not only in our heads, but in our hearts and with our actions. So I think the seasons of the church year, the feasts and the fasts that we participate in through the church year function in the same way. It's They tell the story of the extraordinary work of God and they make it present in our life once again. And it reminds us also of the future hope that we taste in each of those experiences. So the spiritual discipline of remembering sacred time is a way to partake of the life of Christ, both in the sense of doing what Jesus did, but also remembering and making present Jesus's work in our own life. Welcome to the Homeschool Compass podcast, a show that's all about finding confidence in community and help in the wisdom of those who've gone before. I'm your host, Amy Otto, and today I'm joined by Danielle Hitchin. Danielle is a homeschooling mom of three who lives near Washington, D.C. She's passionate about church history and tradition, and she longs for people to see and understand God's big story in the everyday world around them. Danielle has written some of my favorite board books for toddlers and preschoolers, the Baby Believers series. And this fall, she released a new book called Sacred Seasons, a family guide to center your year around Jesus. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to live according to the rhythms of the church year and how we can embrace the gifts and traditions that each season has to offer. But before we get to my conversation with Danielle, I wanted to let you know about the printable program we've created for those of you with little ones. It's called A Picture Book Preschool, and it's available for purchase at christianbook.com. We created it to help families gently ease into the rhythms of homeschooling while enjoying beautiful picture books together. It has 26 units, one for each letter of the alphabet, and each unit includes a list of picture books, a folk song, a nursery rhyme or poem, worksheets to practice handwriting and letter and number skills, hands-on activities like crafts and recipes and science experiments, and lots of coloring pages. You get over 250 pages of printable material to use in whatever way fits your unique family. 
Here's what one mom shared with us about a picture book preschool. This is everything I wanted and more. All the options with every letter make this a perfect introduction to school for my pre-K aged kids. I can choose how much to do and when to do it. I love the book list to go along with the letter theme. And all the activities mean I don't have to do any additional planning. Perfect for busy moms and eager to learn kids. So if that sounds like something you could use, please check out A Picture Book Preschool at the link in our show description. And now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Danielle Hitchin. Thank you so much for joining us today, Danielle. It's really great to get to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I wonder if you could start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family, maybe some of your background with homeschooling. Sure. So my family and I live in Northern Virginia. Um, My husband and I have been married on nearly 12 years and we have three kids. They are nine, seven, and four and a half. And like many people, I didn't become a homeschooler until the pandemic. Um, And that sort of forced our hand in a number of ways. And I'm really grateful that it did. Sometimes we joke that um, God sent a global pandemic to make me homeschool because it would have, I would have needed anything less would not have gotten me to homeschool. And, you know, we live in a great area here in Northern Virginia. There's a lot for the kids to do. And we found this amazing homeschool hybrid option. And I have loved the pace of life that that allows for us. When I think about having my kids in school from, you know, nine to three, five days a week, I cringe a little bit inside. That sounds so busy and hard on our family life. And this hybrid option has been such a gift. The kids are outdoors all day when they go to school and then they're home with me a couple days a week. And we just get to have a slower pace of life. I feel like we get the benefits of of both homeschooling and private schooling through this option. And my husband and I were both homeschooled ourselves. So we know the many benefits of um, being more present with our kids or having that kind of time with our parents. And I have loved seeing the fruit that homeschooling is bearing in the life of my children and their relationships with one another and their time home with us and the way that their character is being formed because of just the increased amount of time that we have to spend with them and to form them and to influence them. Can you tell us a little bit more about the homeschool hybrid program? I know people will be really curious about that. It sounds like it's pretty dreamy. Yeah, so this is through an organization called the Center for Redemptive Education, and they are hoping to help people start these kinds of programs all across the country. So if you're a homeschooler and looking for a hybrid type program and looking for resources to start it, go check out Um, Center for Redemptive Ed, I think it's CRE.org. But they basically pull together what I think is the best of every pedagogy. They're a little Charlotte Mason, and they're a little classical, and they're a little traditional, and they're a little Montessori. And the kids, other than an inclement or dangerous weather situation, spend all their time outside. Um, They do all of their subjects outside when possible. I mean, if it's raining, it's really hard to do things on paper. So there's usually a little bit of indoor space for them to shelter but they're out in cold weather. Their um, school supply list for my kids are like a trowel and rain pants. So (laughs) that's a lot of fun. And um, the kids just love being outdoors that much. And so there's a lot of natural like science um, integration into the program because they're spending all this time, you know, in the woods. It's not like they're in a parking lot outside. They're usually like in a wooded area or field area. 
Um, it's also a Christian program, which is wonderful. They read a lot of like classic literature. Last year they put on Shakespeare's Tempest. And I'm talking about like kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth graders were, were putting together a Shakespeare show, which was so awesome. They study classical music and pieces of art. And yeah, it's just, it's just an incredible program. We've been so thankful to find it and then to be able to have the kids um, at home on the off days as well. That sounds amazing. Yeah, we will definitely link to that. I wonder, you mentioned that you've seen the benefits that your children have experienced through homeschooling, and I'm sure you've seen some through your own life and your husband's life as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. One thing I have always loved about homeschooling, I loved it when I was a teen and I love it for my own children, is the um, integration of generations and just different age groups. I have loved watching the eighth grade girls pour into my kindergarten girl and the way that they give her something to aspire to that's not just like adults being adults, but she can see the ways that like mature young women or for my son, mature young men are pouring back into their community and becoming these young people of faith. And I love the way that my children converse with adults. And I don't think that that's something you necessarily get when kids are always segregated into their own peer groups. They have a lot of opportunity to converse with adults in, in a way that's not just like the adult is the authority and the child, you know, is submitting to them, but they're like having actual conversations. So I think that is one of the biggest benefits I've seen. Another one is just the you are how you spend your time. And so depending on the context in which you you spend your time, you could be shaped for good or for or for worse. And I think in choosing to spend our time in Christian context and in family context, my children are being shaped in in good and beneficial ways for their souls. They are constantly being encouraged to pursue righteousness and to love the Lord. Um, and those things are so important. I want them to grow up to be adults who pursue righteousness and love the Lord. And that starts now as kids. And it's um, a really awkward disconnect, I think, when you put kids in a context where that's not a value. And then you're only encouraging that, you know, at home. I think you need to be doing that in a more full-time way. And so I love having them, you know, in a homeschool context and in a Christian um, homeschool context, you can better shape their hearts and their desires and their love for the Lord because they're getting that um, just more constantly. It's like a constant drip, 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 instead of just trying to like toss a bucket on them every time they're at home with you and like breakfast and dinner. Yes. We don't have to squeeze those moments in around the fringes. We really can weave it all together into an integrated life. It's such a beautiful thing. It absolutely is. Well, you are the author of one of my favorite series of board books, the Baby Believer books. I recommend them to people all the time. They're so lovely and they're just beautifully laid out and so much rich truth. So I'm a big fan of those. But then you have a book for us grownups coming out called Sacred Seasons, A Family Guide to Center Your Year Around Jesus. And I'm really excited for this book, Danielle. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited for this book, too. So um, as you mentioned, Sacred Seasons is a family guide to the church year or the liturgical year, which is an ancient devotional practice that helps us orient our time to the life of Christ. So rather than jamming our faith into our life, this practice helps us place our life within the context of our faith. And in Sacred Seasons, I walk through the various seasons of the church year. And some of these might be familiar to people like Advent and Christmas and others may be less familiar but each of these seasons is designed to place us in God's story and help shape us ever more into his character. 
I wonder if you could define some terms for us, because I know some people might have a good idea of what you're talking about and other people might be totally new to this. Can you tell us just this idea of liturgy? What does that mean? Maybe give us kind of a general overview of the church calendar. I know that's a very big topic, but (laughs) if there's anything you wanted to highlight to just help us get a framework for where you're going with this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I feel like liturgy is a big buzzword right now. It's um, on the cover of a lot of books at the moment. But liturgy comes um, from a mashup of two Greek words, and it can either mean the work of the people or the work for the people. And I think in a Christian context, it means both of these things. And we get an overview of these two types of Christian work in the Great Commission. There's the work of the people, which is evangelism, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we also get the work for the people, which is discipleship, and teach them everything that I have commanded you. And specifically in the context of church community, the word liturgy often refers to the forms and patterns of our worship, which is, you know, the way in which prayers are said or the word is preached, communion is administered, people are baptized or catechized. Um, When we talk about church liturgy, it's really important to remember that for the majority of Christian history, people were illiterate and books were very, very, very expensive because they had to be handwritten. So the personal Bible wasn't even a thing. It was way too expensive for a person to have their own Bible, even if they could read. So the liturgy of the church was designed to help congregations learn and meditate upon scripture and the events and persons of the Bible. And the liturgies of the church sustain nearly 2,000 years of Christian worship and practice, and I think that they have a lot to give us. Um, The church year, or the liturgical year, fits into this context of how liturgy developed over the last 2,000 years, and it's been an incredibly powerful teaching tool. And I have seen that, you know, in my own life and in the way that I raise and catechize my own children um, and the way that it shapes them and teaches them the big story of God. So in terms of a a basic overview of the liturgical year, um, so... From the earliest days of the church, Christians would have a large annual gathering to celebrate the resurrection. And so the practices of the church year grew up around the Easter celebration. Um, I won't get into the nitty gritty of how things developed over about a thousand years, but eventually the year was divided into two cycles that had three seasons each. Um, And there's a season in each cycle that's for preparation, one for celebration, and one for proclamation of the gospel. And these roughly track the life of Christ. So there's the cycle of light, which is Advent, Christmas, and then Epiphany. And there's the cycle of life, which is Lent, Easter, and then ordinary time. And in each of these seasons, we have the opportunity to meditate upon God's work by his son and through his people. And so, as I mentioned before, the church year is just, it's a really lovely way to disciple ourselves and our children and to orient ourselves to the big story of God and how he is at work in the world. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I know that probably a lot of listeners are in the same boat as I am, where I didn't really grow up with a lot of this. We had maybe an Advent wreath at church Mm -hmm. that we lit once a year. Uh, But other than that, we didn't really focus on a lot of these details. Uh, But you really make the case that this is for everybody. This isn't just for one particular denomination or a certain branch of Christianity. This is a way of life that we all have the ability to tap into and experience so that our faith isn't just something that we think about with our minds and engage with intellectually, but it's really an outworking in our physical embodied lives. Yes, that that is absolutely the case. And I think it's important to remember our history as Christians, you know, like 
There were no such thing as denominations until about 1000 AD when the Eastern and the Western churches split. At that point, you get the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church. But we exist as one body of faithful believers, and these traditions grew up as a way of helping us um, remember and celebrate God's work in the world and to make his extraordinary past work present in our own time and place. And I think this is a gift and a legacy for all Christians, regardless of denomination. One of my favorite parts of the book, Danielle, is you talk about liturgy as a spiritual discipline, how if we want to become like Jesus, we have to do the things that Jesus did. And Jesus observed fast. Jesus, you know, participated in the feast cycle of his day and time. He had regular times of going away in solitude and silence and prayer. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, I I found the question of like, what would Jesus do? WWJD bracelets. I grew up in the era of WWJD bracelets. I found that always to be like a really overwhelming question. Like I needed to know very specifically what Jesus would do in this like one particular conversation. Um, But I think the better question is what did Jesus do? And we have a very clear record of what Jesus did. He prayed and sought time with his father. He served others. He celebrated the feasts and the fasts of the Jewish calendar he was hospitable. And I think practicing these things is a way that we grow ever into Christ's likeness. And so one of the things Jesus does, as you mentioned, is he observes sacred time. He participates in Jewish feasts and he often illuminates their meaning. Um, There's a lot of this throughout John's gospel. And the Jewish feasts, they were instituted for the purpose of remembering God's good work and passing that story on to the next generation, making it present to the current generation. You know, there was only one generation that experienced the parting of the Red Sea, but the Israelites were told to remember that, to make that good work present and celebrate it every single year unto perpetuity. And, um, you know, we see Jesus do this in a really powerful way at the Passover meal on the day before his crucifixion. Jesus chooses to sacrifice a Passover lamb and participate in this hallowed meal um, instead of doing anything else. He could be healing people. He could be preaching. He could be, you know, sticking it to Pharisees. But he chooses to have this private meal with his friends. And he really models for us how we need to remember God's work, not only in our heads, but in our hearts and with our actions. Um, And so I think the seasons of the church year, the feasts and the fasts that we participate in through the church year function in the same way. It's they tell the story of the extraordinary work of God and they make it present in our life once again. And it reminds us also of the future hope that we taste in each of those experiences. So the spiritual discipline of remembering sacred time is a way to you know, partake of the life of Christ, both in the sense of doing what Jesus did, but also remembering and making present Jesus's work in our own life. I love that. That's so great. If someone is totally brand new to all of this, do you have any recommendations for how they can sort of start dipping their toes into this world? Obviously, picking up your book would be a wonderful place for them to start. (laughs) But beyond that, what recommendations do you have for people? Yes, uh, pick up Sacred Seasons and choose to do just one thing per season. You know, there's a lot of suggestions in the book. There's a lot of liturgy and tradition that go into the church year. You know, there's things to bake and prayers to pray and songs to sing and just all kinds of things. It can be really overwhelming and I get that. And I want everybody to know that I don't do everything in my book every season either. I also pick a few things to do with my family and I let that be enough. 
So I would say pick one thing. Maybe you're just going to sing, you know, Advent songs up until the 24th and then sing Christmas songs, you know, from the 25th to the 6th, you know, and maybe that's like the one discipline that you choose for Advent and Christmas this year and you don't do anything else. But I think picking one thing and just starting to dip your toe in that way is a great way to go. And the beautiful thing about the church year is that it comes around every year. You have a chance to do something new or to add something more the following year. And it's this beautiful um, cycle that leads you, I think, ever upward toward God. It reshapes you year after year after year after year. Um, And this is meant to be a long-term practice, not just like a one and done sort of a thing. That's a really great reminder. Yes, it's like so many things in this homeschool lifestyle. We don't need to go all in completely from day one and just totally immerse ourselves and then burn out. We can <laughs> we can add one thing and then it comes back around year after year after year. We can go deeper and deeper with it. So that's a beautiful thing. Yes, absolutely. You have a lot of examples in the book of what it has looked like for your family to practice this with little, little kids when you are trying to set up this beautiful moment for them and then you have to run, take someone to the bathroom or you try to explain some rich theological concept and your child is going off on this huge tangent about wild crats (laughs) and the show that they just watched that really has almost nothing to do with what you're trying to impart to them. Um, Do you have any advice for people with little, little ones who are trying to implement some of these things? Yeah, I think my best advice, which applies in a multitude of contexts, is um, have low expectations. You know, like expect the worst and hope for the best. Um, Remember that, you know, you get to do this with your kids year after year, just like you get to do it for yourself year after year. And things will steadily grow and your kids will look forward to these traditions and maybe attend a little bit more next year and the year after that. And I, I think it's good to remember that just because, you know, things don't go well with your children doesn't mean that you didn't make an investment for the future. You know, I think any effort that you make at discipleship with your kids will not return void. And the Lord promises that his word does not return void. And so as we share that, even if it seems like it's not penetrating their little minds or hearts yet, um, you are making a future investment and you might not see the return for a few years, but keep making the effort. It's usually worth it. Um, And also like this discipline is not just for your children, but it's also for you. So maybe you don't have the opportunity to go all out for something like you might want to do, but that doesn't mean you can't spend a few minutes praying and meditating on the particular themes of the season um, or the particular feast day. And, you know, just trying to do what you can when you can. I think that's the the most that we can ask of ourselves, um, especially in the season with young kids when things always just feel so busy and full. Yes. Sometimes we let our ideals hold us back from actually doing anything. If we create this big picture in our mind of the perfect, uh, you know, setup and all the things that we want to do, sometimes it's better to just start small and those little moments of prayer, those little moments of reflection, those little moments where our kids see us acting something out before them are really, really valuable. And it doesn't always have to be this grand, picturesque situation. Yes, absolutely. That's true. And God's very faithful to use those <laughs> those little moments where we're all weak and frail, but trying our best <laughs> yes. for his glory. So we can Amen. <laughs> well, Danielle, I wonder if you have a favorite season of the church year personally? Is there something you especially look forward to? 
I always like Easter. I feel like the run up to Easter is so busy, but um, so Easter is 50 full days for those who don't know. It's not just one celebration, but it's 50 full days of celebration, eight Sundays. And I love that we have a feast season that's so long. It is the longest season of the church year outside of ordinary time, which lasts about six months. So ordinary time is all the time between um, Easter and Advent. And it's always just such a lovely season in the church. After you go through the penitential season of Lent, where things are kind of somber and dark and you're more meditative, Easter is just this burst of joy. Things are blooming outside. It's like the earth is celebrating and our hearts are celebrating. And um, at my church, we ring bells all through Easter. Every time an alleluia is sung or said, we jingle our keys or we ring bells. And it just has this, this joy that permeates the whole congregation and it permeates our lives. And um, it's glorious. I, I have never loved Easter so much as I do when, um, when I joined a liturgical church context and was like, oh, this is actually more than just a day celebration, but like, this is for real, like we are going to feast it up for 50 days. And I think that's so fun. Thank you so much, Danielle, for sharing your time with us today. I wonder if you have any final words of encouragement for the homeschool moms and dads that are listening. I would say keeping faithful. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's hard. I don't love homeschooling every day, but I do love the fruit. I see it bearing in my children. And God is always faithful to give us what we need. I recently um, got a mug with a quote from Gregory of Nyssa on it. And it says, he who gives the day will also give what is necessary for the day. And that is always just a good reminder on the mornings that life feels overwhelming from the time that I wake up, that God is good, that he has guided us to this place that we are at and he is sustaining us. He is giving us the daily bread. So yeah, keep being faithful. It's it's not always easy, but it's also, it's a good journey and it's going someplace beautiful. And then God sees you and he sees your faithfulness and he loves you and he's in it with you. Amen to that. Yes. Danielle, where can people find you if they would like to connect with you more? So you can find me online at um, catechesisbooks.com. And if you can't spell catechesis, that's okay. That was my worst marketing decision ever because nobody (laughs) can say it and nobody can spell it. You can also find me at sacredseasonsbook.com or babybeliever.com. Both of those will redirect to catechesisbooks.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram or Facebook at Catechesis Books. Um, so those are the best ways to connect with me. Excellent. And we'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for sharing this conversation with us and sharing some of your family story. This was really wonderful. Well, thank you for having me. I, I love talking about this book and I'm excited to share it with others. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Danielle. And if you'd like to hear more from her, be sure to pick up your copy of Sacred Seasons. You can visit homeschoolcompass.com slash podcast for links to all the books and resources we talked about today. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we would be so honored if you would share this episode with a friend. And if you're feeling especially generous, we'd love for you to tap the five stars in your podcast player and leave us a quick review. That means so much to us and it helps new people find the show. We're grateful to each one of you for listening. And until next time, remember you are loved and you are not alone.